welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Taken from the scripture Isaiah 54, verse 2 and 3 from the voice translation, which says, in larger house, you're going to need a bigger place. How many people need a bigger house? You're going to need a bigger house. Don't underestimate the amount of room that you will need. So build, build, build. God wants to enlarge our dreams and our vision for our life. You're thinking way too small for your life. Did you hear me? You're thinking way too small for your life. Do you agree with me? Okay. (laughs) You are. I have a theory that... So we're speaking about the seven mountains this month. And you may not know this, but the majority of churches never ever discuss this concept or even know about it. So that tells me something about you. God must have set you apart for this message. To be in this place at such a time as this. He must think there's something incredibly special about you and your capacity. So I say to you, build, build, build. Enlarge, enlarge, enlarge. You will increase in every direction to fill the world and your offspring will take over the nations and your people will revitalize long abandoned towns. This word enlarge, the whole concept of this is to grow beyond, to increase your capacity, to break through, to expand, to go further, to occupy new territories, to go beyond what's ever been seen before. Just because it hasn't happened in the past doesn't mean it won't happen today. God wants to do bigger, newer things, greater things than we could ever imagine possible. I'm excited about living in this day and age, aren't you? These are the greatest hours. And God's going to do exceedingly, abundantly above all you could ask or think. So I want you to think about it this month. God is building a life of increase and influence in my neighbor. Yes, but also, but also in me. He's doing that in me. He's building a life of increase and influence in me. Say with me, God. God. And now say it with passion, okay, and meaning. God, God. is building a life. Of increase and influence in me. Do you believe it? Okay, now we're ready to go. I want you to turn your Bibles today to Joshua chapter 3. So have a look at this. This is a great message. I'm going to talk to you about the influential life in the seven mountains. We have four messages. I'm going to unpack the first part. There's so much to deal with. Next week, I will talk about how to position yourself for a life of influence in the mountains. Then the following week, Dean will talk about the mountains and discovering your particular mountain. And the last week, I'm going to talk to you about faith to take mountains. I'm going to talk to you about how to deal with the enemy in the mountain, what his literal power is and what his power isn't, and how to exercise faith to take whole mountains for God. Amen? So we've got amazing four weeks of great messages. So I'm excited about this. This is my favorite topic. I've been looking forward to April. April's a good month. So some of these things you may already know, some you may not, but we're, gonna, we're just going to set the scene for this month and get a really good theology and understanding. So when we talk about the seven mountains, we are all on the same page. At the end of the month, actually at the start of April, we're going to meet for an hour and we're going to pray. In May, did I say? We're going we're gonna to meet and we're going to pray into the mountains. and We're going to declare the lordship of Jesus over every mountain. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Amen. Because that's his passion. He wants the mountains. Joshua 3.1. Joshua rose early in the morning. And they set out from Acacia Grove and they came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel. And they lodged there before they crossed over. It's a scary time. In the life of Joshua, it's a scary, happy time because they're going to a place they've never been to before. There's a sense of anticipation that we're about to cross over into a new day that nobody's seen before. It's all new. 
And so it was after three days, the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest, the Levites bearing it, you will set out from your place and you will go after the ark. Isn't it good to know that God's already gone before us? Yeah? That's a cue for you to say yes. It's good to know that God goes before us. When we walk into our destiny, God is already there. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's got yesterday and today and tomorrow covered. And so when we walk into this journey of the seven mountains, we're not going where God hasn't already been. He's already been there and done the job. So when you read this story about going into the promised land, God had already defeated the enemy in the promised land and he was calling the children to come in and possess what he had already won for them. Did you hear that? It's a done deal, the whole seven mountain thing. It's not, I wonder whether it happens or not. God said, it's done. The the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of God. His mountain will be supreme over all mountains. He will rule over all the nations. And the kingdom of God will have a valid expression in every sector of society. I know the enemy thinks he's got it, but he's a thief. He doesn't own it. Let me tell you something about week four. The enemy is a liar and a thief. He doesn't own anything in this world. He may be the God of this world, the world system, but he's not the God of the earth. The earth is the Lord's. He's created. Everything that we see, all the resources, everything belongs to the Lord. And he wants it back. He wants it back. So he said, there will be a space between you and and, and the ark about 2,000 cubics. How many? So there's little clue. There are lots of clues in the Bible. The Jews or the, the rabbis say there are four levels of revelation in all of Scripture, beginning from the, the most immediate, basic, obvious, historical level down to the mystical level. So when you read the Bible, there was literally 2,000 cubics between the ark and the people. But there's a hidden story here. God is saying that there's 2,000 cubics between something that has happened and something that will happen. And I believe he's pointing to a picture that 2,000 years after Christ, who is the ark, who is the presence of God, after that, around about 2,000 years, we will see a crossing over of the church into a promised land. It's called the third day in Bible teaching. It's all through the Bible in hidden mysteries. There is this revelation that around about this time, in this day and age, God is about to cross over with his people to inherit the promises of God. Aren't you excited about that? All of creation is longing for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. They're groaning for the kingdom of God to be fully established. He says 2,000 cubics. I'm excited about that. Do not come near it because you've never been this way before. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because when it comes to church, we always try to relive what's already happened. But God is saying that what I'm about to do has never been done before. And as I study what people think God is saying, what people think God is doing, they always want to relive and rehash what God has done. So when we talk about the move of God in our nation now, isn't it interesting that people always want to regurgitate the methods of yesterday? I don't want to be mean, But it just astounds me that we keep playing the same old tune. And what happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago to reach our nation is not what God's going to do today. God has a new way. See, what we thought was the be-all and end-all, which was revival and soul-saved, was just the beginning. God has a dream for his government over all society. And I want to say today, I want to venture to say that crusades and all these things which are great, are not going to cut it when it comes to the government of God in all of society. One-off events will no longer cut it. What God is wanting is the body of Christ, the priesthood of all believers, to go into their mountains and influence them and bring the kingdom of God to our city. That's a cue for you to say a big amen. amen. So to go where God wants us to go, we're going to have to embrace New ideas, new ways of thinking. No longer will it be enough to come to church and hear a nice little cute sermon and go home 
and have a cup of tea and go through your day and then come back again next week. God is reframing the church to think. Remember, I've taught you about the three levels, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, about salvation, sonship, and then spiritual dominion. And a lot of Christians want to stay at the baby stage. John puts it like this, children, sons, and fathers. And so in the past, we've, we've played around the realms of being saved and just that's enough. And then some people have progressed to sonship and they began to discover about their identity as much loved and they allow God to transform them. But then there's another stage where we embrace spiritual dominion on earth. Ask, seek and knock. We ask for salvation, it's easy. We seek for a new identity. We wrestle with that. It's a little bit harder. But then there will be a, I was going to say remnant, but I don't like that word. There will be a people that will wrestle for the government of God to invade all society. They will come against strongholds in areas where the enemy says, you can't take that. He'll defy you. But you'll stand in your identity and say, we want it back. It belongs to the Lord. And we will wrestle for kingdoms and dominions and realms of society that have been snatched away from the church. So we're going to have to embrace a new way of thinking. We're going to have to grow up. Say with me, I'm going to have to grow up. Now pull your thumb out and say it again. I'm going to have to grow up. Now that sounds a lot better. It was a bit of a mumble the first time. See, everything changed when they made that decision to take territory, to infiltrate, to occupy. It went from a cloud and a fire to an angry angel with a sword. Well, I say angry. He was a warrior who began to cut people down. They went from a group of people just going through the wilderness to a fierce army taking territory. It all changed. Now, this is the thing about the people of God. You've got a choice to where you'll position yourselves in this last day. As you notice with the children of Israel, think about that, that some of them remained in Egypt. They preferred life in the flesh, just going about their own life. They're saved, they're going to heaven, but they really don't have a passion for the things that are on God's heart. They're more concerned about their heart than God's heart. They're more concerned about their flesh and what makes them feel good and, and, and nurturing their own woundedness and pain than pursuing the purposes of God. So they stayed in Egypt and they died there. Some left Egypt. They embraced the miracle lifestyle. They went to revivals. They went to Bethel. They got the CDs. They did all the wonderful things. And it's wonderful. They left Egypt. They pursued a miracle-working God. They saw miracles and healings in their own life. They were excited. They felt the presence of God, but they had no vision to govern nations. See, their, their, their mindset never broke out into a place where they saw God's desperate desire was to govern nations, not just a Holy Ghost revival meeting in church. And I love them. But God had something else in mind. And I don't know about you, but I love the encounter times. But I walk away saying, thank you, God. But I know there is much more. There is so much more. Turn with me to Luke 8. Because I'll show you this. It's here in the scripture. Luke chapter 8, there are two women that are, I guess, the, the bookends of this chapter. And they're both identified by the number 12, and 12 is the number of God's government. This is what we're talking about, God's desire to bring his government to earth. So when you see the Bible, you see a chapter, and you see things repeated, God's trying to say something to you. It's not just, oh, that, that, was, that was unusual, two 12s, maybe just, you know, just the way it was. No, God's the little highlights. He's saying, look at this. I'm going to teach you something about the apostolic government of my church in a 12-year-old girl. Luke 8, 40. See, because there are some people that don't want to embrace government. This is what I'm talking about, this, this second level of people. Some stay in Egypt, 
Some leave Egypt, they stay in the wilderness, but they don't have a governmental mindset. So that a whole generation died off in the wilderness because they did not have a vision that, including, that included taking territory. So they died in the wilderness. Are you getting this? Yeah. And so if the church doesn't embrace a governmental mindset for a city, it will die in the wilderness. Oh, God will love them. God will do miracles. But see, he's good. He's pleasing. And he's perfect will. So you can be satisfied with his good will. Oh, that, that was good. I'm saved. God's pleased now. Oh, I'm in the wilderness seeing miracles. Then I move on to the, through the Jordan into the promised land and I've got his perfect will. I'm in the bullseye. I've captured his heart. Now I've unlocked all the resources of heaven because I'm in his perfect will. Luke 8.40 So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? Church is waiting for Jesus right now. Show up, make an appearance, do your, do your tricks, come take us home. We're waiting for something, aren't we? Yeah? Don't you feel that? The church is waiting for, okay, what next? You are there, aren't you? And behold, there was a man named who? Doris. His name means he will enlighten. It implies prophetic vision and insight. He sees something that others don't see. God enable us to see what others don't see. The worst thing that we can have is spiritual blindness. This is why Jesus came and healed the blind throughout the Gospels because it's the... One of the greatest battles that the church faces is the ability to see how God sees. And not just go through life oblivious to what's going on all around us. God is speaking to you every single day in so many facets and ways. And often we're just not seeing it. So we pray, God, give me eyes that see. Thank you for eyes that see and ears that hear. Thank you for being perceptive to what's on your heart. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. So Jairus is there. He represents the heart of the Father. He sees what the Father sees. That's called prophetic people. They are seeing what Father sees. And that's my desire. I pray that with all my heart. God calls me to be a prophetic man. You promised in Acts 2 that a whole generation would arise that prophesied. And that's not just prophesying, and it's important over each other, but we carry a prophetic mandate. We hear the voice of the Father. We know what he's about. We understand the seasons and the times. We know what God is doing in our generation. We're not just walking aimless, but we, we come like John the Baptist. With a, we're a voice. We've heard. We know. Don't you want that? I can see people leaning in right now to that. And you know, this is... This is a pregnant place. You're liable to catch a baby in this room. <laughs> Serious. You're liable to capture something from the Holy Ghost and when you leave this place, you begin to see what you've never seen before. You, things will come alive inside you. That's why I don't miss church, because things come alive. I, capture, I catch things in the spirit. Things change. Anyway, Jairus. It says... He was a ruler of the synagogue and he fell at the feet of Jesus and begged him to come to his house because he had one daughter and she was about 12 years of age and she was dying. He represents the father's heart and he has a sick bride that has not reached maturity. Amazing, isn't it? And he sees this child who's a picture of the bride of Christ has a governmental calling on it, but it's dying. And he's waiting for Jesus, and he says, Jesus, you need to heal this bride. And I pray that God raises up men and women that don't despise the church, but pray for the church and say, God, this is your bride. It has a, this, this generation has a governmental call upon it, 
and it's dying. It doesn't realize it. It's not bearing fruit. Do you ever wonder why? And I've read this story so many times and not got it. And that shouldn't surprise you because sometimes it takes time. But about the Pharisees that come to Jesus and they, they spin this story. And say, so there was a woman, Jesus, who had a husband. And she never had a baby to the husband and he died. And so she married his brother. And they hung out together. But she never had a baby to him and he died. Now you think, don't marry that woman. <laughs> but yet the whole seven brothers marry her. And none of them are able to give her a child. She's never given birth to any child to any one of the seven brothers. What could God be saying to us? That the church has not been able to birth anything really of substance in any of the seven mountains. And it gets to the end of the age and the cry goes out, what have you given birth to? So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John into this story to raise up the girl. I think it's on verse 51 to 55. And Jesus says to the crowd, this girl is asleep, but the people think she's dead. And here's the thing, is that you and I have to, the first thing that we have to do is to come into agreement with Jesus about what he's saying over his church. Did you hear that? Jesus says the church is not dead. It's just asleep. It's going to come back to life. The people say the church is dead. It's written off. There's no way we can reach our city. It's too hard. Look around. How could God use anything like what we have here? And Jesus says, no, it's going to come back to life. That's why I told you the Holy Spirit in the parable where the man knocks on the door and the other man inside is asleep. And he's relentless in his pursuit to get the man out of his bed with his child, child representing the man and his future, out of bed to feed him because he has a friend coming. The Holy Spirit is relentless in his pursuit to get the church out of bed because Jesus is returning. He will never give up. He is relentless in his pursuit to get the church ready for when the sun comes. And the sun's after the government of God in all of society. He's sitting in heaven waiting for all his enemies to be made his footstool. Not six out of seven, not three, that'll do. Now, I want all of society to understand the kingdom of God in its fullness. I'm not saying everyone will be saved, but everyone will know the kingdom of God expression in every sector of society. They will see what it looks like in at least one city or many cities when the kingdom of God is expressed and we will see life as it should be in every one of those mountains. Vanessa talked about in the family. It will be in every sector of society. So Jesus says she's asleep. But they all wept and mourned. Their agreement with death was empowering it. And here's the thing. When you agree with the hopelessness of the task, you empower it. You become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You say, see, I told you it could never happen. And the reason why it's not happening is because you keep saying it won't happen. And when I prayed to God and I said, this was years ago, what do you want me to do? He says, I'm looking for people that will believe that what I think can happen will happen. Because until you can believe, I can't give you the strategy. I can never give you the blueprints because you can't believe that it will happen. You are killing it before it begins. They cried and they mourned. But Jesus put out the crowd. That word put out literally means to eject and expel. It's the same word used when Jesus cast the enemy out. It says, now the ruler of this world is cast out. He cast out all those negative sinful, demonic mindsets that says the church will never rule in society. And you've got to do the same thing. You've got to take authority over every mindset that says that you and I cannot influence the mountains. I know it's a stronghold. I know it's here right now. It's over people's lives. They hear this message and they go, ho-hum. Yeah, heard it all before. Let him go. He'll get over it. No, 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 no. This is the heart of God. And what you're struggling with is a mindset. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, Though we walk in the flesh, 
We don't wage war according to the flesh because the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. We cast down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then we are ready to punish all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. The moment we begin to agree with God, we have authority to pull down the disobedience of the enemy's plans over society. Ours is a battle that is fought here. It's mindsets, it's strongholds. It's the enemy saying relentlessly for generations, you will not take this city. And so you are birthed into that stronghold. I am birthed into that stronghold. I am so aware of the strongholds that I was born into, the limitations. And the moment you try to break free from that, bang! But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have a spirit of an overcomer within me. And Joshua, even though all the generations before him had given up, he had Caleb who said, give me my mountain. And Joshua said, that's enough. There's two of us. You only need one other person to come into agreement. And they took the promised land. We want to welcome all those watching from Facebook and live stream all around the world today. You are loved. And this message of the kingdom of the seven mountains is for you today in every country. See, it's not about whether you're a wealthy country or a poor country. It's about whether Jesus is Lord. That's the issue. He can rule and reign in every country, in the Philippines, in Malaysia, amen, in South Africa at the moment, everywhere Jesus is Lord. He's not intimidated by the size of the problem. So Jesus grabbed Peter, James and John, the mother and the father, him and a baby. That makes seven. Interesting, isn't it? And they began to wage war. It's interesting that he takes Peter, James, and John. Peter is a picture of revelation and boldness. John is a picture of intimacy. James is a picture of martyrdom. And those three things will be evident in this end-time church. When I say martyrdom, it's the willingness to die to every other agenda but his. Intimacy with the Father a spirit of revelation and boldness, and he brings those attitudes into the house. And the young girl rises up. Jesus says to the young girl, little girl, I say to you, arise. You will not die immature. This is the time to rise up in spiritual maturity and begin to bear fruit. And so he says to the church today, little girl, I say to you, arise. That's what's coming from heaven right now. He's declaring over his church, arise, arise. He's breathing. As we're worshiping today, I felt the rivers of God beginning to rise up. It's rising, rising. It's a picture of the church being lifted up into full statue. This little girl's not going to die. He says, now I want you to feed her. And don't tell anyone about it. He wants us to nurture what God is doing. To feed it, to talk about it, to protect it. Don't let anyone steal this revelation of the seven mountains. Feed it, feed it, feed it, feed it. Protect it, protect it. Nurture it. It is a beautiful gift. I need you to understand because this is the prize that the Father will give to the Son for his suffering. It's not just... People, and that's part of it, but it is the kingdom expressed and all. It's the garden reestablished. It's the whole picture. And he gives it back to the son. So you guard that prize. If you had an amazing gift to give to someone, you would protect it and guard it and nurture it. And you've been given this revelation. Today, you've been given it. To nurture, to protect, to pray over, to believe, to open up your curtains like Daniel and pray over our city and declare every mountain belongs to our Lord. You pray from here and you don't get caught up in the doubt and the unbelief and the stuff that gets regurgitated, how it's too hard, it's hopeless. That's why we've got the Old Testament. 
Because over and over, in hopeless circumstances, Esther, the whole nation's going to be taken out. And God, in one day, turns it around. Can a nation be born in a day? We've seen it over and over. Pharaoh, strongholds, smashed by God. A whole nation delivered in a day. So for this group, they stuck in the wilderness and they were satisfied with manna. But you know, Exodus 3.17 says, I promised you to bring you up out of misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I have to say this, and the Vegemites. <laughs> Eight nations. A land flowing with milk and honey. Manna had a hint of honey in it. Little hint. So they were satisfied with a little bit of revelation, a little bit of revival. And he says, no, I called you to take the mountains. It's a land flowing with revelation and insight. And you will, the, whole, the word of God will unveil itself in the revelation that he is Lord over the mountains. How amazing. So God got serious about discipling nations and crossing over and the government of God. And most of God's people said, no way, Jose. Can't do it. Too hard. But one generation crossed over. Aren't you excited about that? Because I am that generation, and so are you. You can cross over, my friend. God's called you to cross over. God has big thoughts about you, amazing thoughts. That's why we're alive in this generation. Not by chance, but by design. Because inside us is the Caleb Joshua spirit that says, I know there is more. I feel it. There's more inside here. This is my... My, in, in my inner being, I feel there is more. Don't you? So I don't let that stirring become frustration and anger at everything that's going on. It inspires me to reach out for more. So Joshua 1.11, he said, Pass through the camp, command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days we're going to cross over, and we will possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. This is just the beginning. This is like the embryo. This is a little seed. As I look around, I'm not deterred. This is the beginning. We're going to do it. Should I say it again? We're going to do it. We will reach this city. We will infiltrate media, business, arts, entertainment, government, family, and even the church. We will do it. 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 I'll say it again. We will do it. We will do it. We will possess the land. Deuteronomy 7 verse 1, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and he has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. So they are greater, they are mightier, they are overwhelming, but God says, I've given them to you. There were seven giants, and these are mindsets. So those seven nations I read to you, they are mindsets that rebel against the ways of God. So I'll just give you one example, the Canaanites. They are, the Canaanites represent mammon. They, the name Canaanites is merchants that humiliate others. They are people in powerful positions of influence, of wealth, and they use that wealth to tread down on other people, to humiliate them and to destroy them. So these seven mountains that we come up against are strongholds in our city that rebel against the purposes of God. So when you come up against a mountain, it's not a person. See, we, our battle is not against people. It's a spirit behind that, that the enemy, because the devil says to Jesus, I'll give you these mountains if you worship me. There's a spirit behind the position. So they rebel against the purposes of God. In media, in government, what you are seeing is the enemy behind people rebelling 
against the kingdom. So we don't get angry at people. We use a sword on the devil and a towel on people. We serve people. We war against the devil. I said that last week. But isn't it interesting that there are seven places where Jesus shed his blood? And all of those places around the event of the crucifixion, they are all places where God, through Jesus, redeems the areas where the enemy has rebelled against. So in other words, the, 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 the Canaanites that rebelled and they took on the spirit of mammon, Jesus, before he goes to the cross, they put a crown of thorns on his head. And the thorns represent poverty and the curse. And he takes on the mindset of the curse upon him. And blood flows down his head. He is redeeming what the enemy has done. He's rebellious ways. He's redeeming all the works of the enemy. So that mammon spirit at the cross was dealt with when the crown of thorns was placed on Jesus' head. Amen? It's been redeemed. It's been redeemed. Seven gifts of the Father. It tells us that in, in Romans 12. There are seven gifts of the Father. And these are to replace all the mindsets of rebellion of the enemy. So Jesus redeems it at the cross. And the Father, by the Spirit of God, replaces those values with kingdom values. And he replaces mammon with giving. Isn't it interesting? Then we see in the seven mountains, they are the restoration of the government of God for nations. The, the, the uh, mountain of business, restored, redeemed. How amazing. And you see that trace right through the Bible. When the enemy rebels, Jesus redeems. God replaces, and then we see a physical manifestation on earth. Are you getting this? That's the whole course of the scripture. This is what God is saying. The enemy rebels, Jesus at the, at the cross undoes all that rebellion. And the Father replaces that now with kingdom mindsets. You need to understand this because when you go into your mountain, you're coming up against rebellious strongholds. And you go in the authority of the cross that says at the cross, all those rebellious mindsets were dealt a fatal blow. I have authority because of the blood of Jesus. I'm not intimidated by those rebellious thoughts. I come in my authority and I replace rebellious thoughts with the mindset of the kingdom. That's what David was talking about today. Giving more than what is required. What does that, that simple act of obedience undoes the work of the enemy? And when we begin to over and over and over again, seeds of restoration of the government of God begin to grow in our city. Can you see this? Yeah. Isaiah 2 verse 2. It will come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on the top of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and nations will flow to it. What's Isaiah saying? The government of God will be established and the nations will flow. God teaches your ways. I don't know how it works, but I'm beginning to see that when you give... More than what you should. When you sow into someone else's life, it flows back, pressed down, shaking together. Teach me about the kingdom, about the principles of the king and the kingdom. This is what he's saying. It will come to pass. Does that mean it will happen? Yeah? In the last days, 2,000 cubics, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. It will be done. On top not underneath, on top of all the other mountains. The expression of the kingdom will be over all the mountains. This whole seven mountain concept began with Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham. 1975, they both separately had a dream. And God gave them the blueprint of the seven mountain mandate, which was literally what we've been talking about. Whoever occupies the top of the mountains gets to shape the agenda. Now, this is in weeks to come, but just think about this. There is limited influence and authority on the bottom of the mountain. So here's the problem for the church or the challenge. Now, please hear me. Don't mishear what I say. You can pray and pray and pray, but where you have no authority, you have little influence. E.g., 
But say I'm praying for your daughter. And you don't know, but I have limited influence because she's not under my covering. True? Who has the covering? You do. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of... So there's a line of authority. And the enemy knows that. God knows that. God functions in authority. So if you invite me into your family and say, please pray for Maddie. She needs a miracle then I've got authority to step in there because he's asked me into his realm of authority. And if you pray for Maddie, you have authority. Without his authority, I, don't ha- I have limited authority. So when it comes to the mountains, God wants to position us in those places of authority alongside or instead of where we have the authority. We can pray for government, and we should. The Bible says pray for those in places of authority. But the, the, the Old Testament model is God raises up men and women to sit alongside. So what are we praying for? We're not just praying for them, but we're praying that God changes their hearts so they are men and women of kingdom values or he puts people beside them that have kingdom values. Does that make sense? Because without that, our prayers are ineffective because we're trying to change. We don't have the authority. They have the authority because they're on top of the mountain. So you can pray all you like, they just need to make a decision, and it undoes all your prayer. So whoever occupies the top of the mountains shapes the agenda. So we pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Shape the tops of the mountain that set the stage for all of culture. So we're quickly going to go through the mountains. I had so much more, but it's another day. Next screen. Do you see that there? There are seven mountains. Many of you know this. The mountain of religion. We pray over that the church, which is the ecclesia, the governing body, will have great influence in every other sphere. This is where the people of God are nourished and nurtured and trained for battle. This is not the only mountain, but it's pivotal because out of here comes the mind of God for society. Family, in any function in society, the family is the building block of all community. God raises up mothers and fathers to bring order to the chaos that the enemy has created in families. There are are kingdom principles of how a father and a mother work together and function together, how they raise up children to be successful, how they train them so they, they are a blessing and not a curse to society. So they are problem solvers and not problems. So we have a mandate from God to bring his kingdom to the mountain of family. Amen? Yes? Come on. This is important because if we don't do that, the next generation will be out of control. So we say, bring your kingdom, Lord. Education. We pray that there's an introduction again of biblical values to all of society, including education. We pray for Christian schools that they won't be just schools that churn out kids with good ATAR scores, but they churn out children full of the Holy Ghost with kingdom values, with dominion mandates, with kingdom understanding that take the whole city. Amen? Amen. Government. This false idea that the church and the state have to be separate. Well, there's a a part of that that the church should not be controlling government per se. But that doesn't mean that the kingdom of God should not infiltrate all sectors of government. And so we pray over government because the Bible teaches that as the leaders or the kings are of a nation, so goes the nation. So we ask God, let your kingdom come. Are you still with me? Media, radio, TV, newspapers, internet news, blog sites become a source of hope and courage and truth. Not of lies, not of doubt, not of, not of stirring up trouble, but sources of truth and hope. And God's going to raise up people, and I speak by the Spirit of God, even in this place, that will infiltrate media again. We've run away from it because it was too hard, too scary. But God's going to birth fresh passion. I was just Channel 7 last week, 
at the studio. And it's amazing how dark that place is. And we say, God, rather than run from it, raise up Daniels that know how to operate in dark places. Amen? With wisdom, purity, and understanding. Arts and entertainment, music, filmmaking, performing arts, sport, all that which drives the taste of culture and the values and the standards, they will come alive with the kingdom. One of my greatest joys was going with Sue when her gown was in gown of the year. To see her gown come down the aisle in a dark place. And I said, thank you, God. Thank you that all of the arts and the creative places are being redeemed by your church again. The fullness of your expression in every sector of society, in fashion, in entertainment, every area, God's desire is to be seen in those things. You say, well, what does it matter? It matters to him. It matters to him. Did you hear me? It matters to him. It matters to him. Business. The ability to create wealth, enterprise, is a God-given gift. And the markets are prone to corruption. And in response, the church will raise up men and women called into the marketplace with the ability to create wealth to both enjoy for themselves, because that's okay, and to redistribute. It will happen. God is raising up, even in this place, men and women of great wealth and great understanding to both enjoy the wealth and to distribute it to places of need. As I finish today, I find it astounding that the very first person to meet Jesus when he rose from the grave was Mary. Mary Magdalene. And again, maybe it's just coincidence, but I know God to be more than that. He's, he's the master of putting things in place. She's the woman. In Mark 16, 9, it says, Jesus, on the first day of the week, appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who were with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard she, he was alive and being seen by her, they did not believe. I think the reason he came to Mary, besides the fact that he loved her so much, was a picture to us that the very first thing on the mind of Jesus, the moment he was raised from the dead, was he wanted his mountains back. And she's a picture of that. She's a picture of all that the enemy has stolen. And she runs back saying, guess what? Jesus is alive. And the mandate, it's still there. And they don't want to believe her. It's like, no, 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 I can't believe that. But it's true, he is alive. And he spent 40 days after his resurrection talking to his disciples about the kingdom of God and what was on his heart. And it's still the same today. He wants his mountains back. And we're going to see over the next three weeks how God positions men and women in the mountains to transform entire mountains. We're going to see what the enemy actually has and what he doesn't have. We're going to see how we exercise faith to take mountains. And he will be the challenge. You can either step up to the plate and leave behind your own personal issues and agendas, and they're important. God will take care of them. You have the choice to step up and say, God, I'm going to be like Joshua and Caleb. I'm not going to be like the, the, the people that got caught in Egypt, so wound up in the flesh. I'm not going to be like the people in the wilderness that were so caught up in miracles and their own healings and, and breakthrough. I, I'm going to be like Joshua and Caleb. I'm going to possess that which you died for. I'm going to believe for the mountains. I'm going to walk the streets and pray in faith. I'm going to walk past the banks and Parliament House. I'm going to walk past DHS and all the buildings. I'm going to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to pray over people in power. I'm going to look for opportunities to get beside them and, and, and believe in them and pray for them. I'm going to join... Uh, Political parties, even though I don't you know, need to, because I want to get beside people of influence and begin to share wisdom and insight to them. I'm going to be a man or a woman that will break through and take the mountains. And do you know what? 
If you step out in faith, God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And so I happen to believe that there must be people here with that mandate. Whereas God wouldn't be speaking today. There must be one or two or three or four that would say, you know what, that's me. I'm called for the mountains. We have a little picture in that hallway and it says, I must be going for the mountains are calling. And they are calling. They're calling for Jesus to come and reign on them. They're crying out for the sons of God and the daughters of God to take their position of authority. And the biggest challenge that you will face is in here. I know, I can see it when I preach. I can see some people's like, oh my, what is he going on about? Who, me? You mean that I could influence a whole mountain? I thank God that Caleb never said that. You know, he's missing a few teeth and a few grey hairs. But he said, you know what, give me this mountain. I have the same passion that I had 40 years ago. It has not abated. In fact, it's stronger. You know what? If there's no young'uns that will do it, give it to me. Give it to me. I'll take it. I'll believe for it. I'll exercise faith today. So I say to you today, as you leave this place, what can you do after a message like this? What, what do you literally do? Do you just write in your notes, shut up, well, that, that, was, that was that week, week one, week two coming up. What, what do you do? Well, the first thing that you do is you begin to pray and say, God, like that young girl in the room, I choose to believe, like you, that this girl will rise again. That you've called a people to take the mountains. Uh, I believe that you've called me. That your dreams are not dead inside me. They are alive. They look like they're asleep, but they're, they're coming alive again.